things theology, all things theology. We chop it up properly without an apology. Gotta get doxology to God hollow because this is how we do it at all things theology. Yo, grace and peace, guys. It's Kate up here back again. Welcome to all things theology. I just want to thank you for watching. If you're watching on podcast app right now, if you're watching on the YouTube streaming device, thank you. Make sure you like this video. Make sure you share it out. Um, comment, leave a comment. Feel free to email me. Um, it's under the um, description of this video. So uh, hit me up if you have any questions for me. I would love to dialogue, answer those questions if I can. Um, if you recall in my last video, I did a why or how I became a Calvinist. So it's kind of ironic that I'm going to be talking about this subject again, but in a different light. I'm going to be responding. Uh, I know a lot of you guys like when I do response videos, I'm going to be responding to someone, to two former Calvinists, um, Warren McGrew and a lady named, hold on, Elena Lagares. Hopefully I'm pronouncing her name rightly. <laughs> but uh, these two former Calvinists, um, I've had dialogues with uh, Warren before. Uh, I don't have anything bad to say him on a personal level. Um, we just did disagree theologically. Um, but Elena, I've never heard of her. Um, didn't know she was a former Calvinist. Uh, things like that. Don't know if she's had teachings of her being promoting her Calvinistic uh, leanings at one point. I don't. I don't know. But nevertheless, I'm going to be responding to um, them, kind of discussing their. Uh, Calvinist Exodus, if I could say it like that. So without further ado, let's get right into it. I, I remember uh, sitting under some good expositional preaching that would put you to sleep and, and thinking this must be this must be the way it's supposed to be because it's so me you know methodical. Um, and I would pick up some of it. Oh, and to be fair, I always got to say this, but I always forget to say it. I did chop up the video just for time. The video was like an hour and a half long. And so I chopped up the video just for time's sake. But um, I tried my best not to take anything out of context and just to deal with the thoughts I thought would be specific to my audience and the things I would like to respond to. So with that said, we'll continue. Uh, as they would go. Um, and eventually, year after year after year, it, you know, it, it took root. But it was. It was, it was one of those things where you know, we're in. You're probably not. Sorry. Um, but but I think I think also I would be very interested to see a Calvinist say something like that. Like, hey, maybe he's saying that's just how his church was. OK, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I've never heard a Calvinist say, hey, I'm I'm the elect and you're not. Maybe hyper Calvinism, if that's what he's talking about. It was one of those situations to where. Uh, when you talk about, you know, the elect, um, I, I would say, I, I don't know who's elect and who's not. So, so what a Calvinist talk to you. And if you, if you don't just affirm everything I'm telling you, then I can write you off because God hasn't revealed this to you and enabled you to receive these wonderful words that I'm giving you. And the problem isn't with me or my beliefs or my ability to communicate them. The problem's with you. And so he's clearly saying, he's critiquing Calvinism from this point, saying, hey, um, you know, kind of, you know, Calvinists kind of have this ordeal where if they're, um, if you don't accept all the teachings of Calvinism, it was easy for him back in the day when he was a Calvinist just to write you off. Well, that just means you're not part of the elect. And 
uh, I would never say that as a Calvinist. Um, so just because someone rejects what I'm saying then and there doesn't mean they're not part of the elect. They could accept everything I'm saying a day after. I mean, so, I, I, yeah, I really struggle with that. I could come in and engage in, in, if you want to call it Christian witness, but if it wasn't received, oh, well, I'm not the problem. Uh, well, I mean, that's, that is true. The evangelist is not the problem. Ultimately, ultimately, the problem is the sinner, the individual sinner before God. And so it seems like he's saying, well, I, this is, I don't understand the critique because I, I don't believe Warren would say, well, the evangelist is the problem. But then this whole section right here doesn't make sense. I, I'm not contributing anything here. You're the problem and I could leave. So, but uh, what was what was your response when when you when you were there? Did did it did it in, uh, hamper your? And so a lot of this uh, video is going to be critiquing uh, what Elena has to say. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing her name rightly. But you guys will see why I have a lot of issue with what she's saying, and I'm going to be gentle. Uh, hopefully, if she watches this or Warren watches this, they view my words as gracious and not just combative and arrogant or things like that. Because um, I understand, you know, sometimes an apologist, uh, that's one of the struggles. And so hopefully I don't come off in that manner. To, to witness or did you find that you had more boldness? Because, I mean, I felt bold being able to share it, but it, I was really just I, I wasn't doing it in the biblical way. Mm -hmm. did you, what was it, what was it that, that you, you experienced there? I. I definitely remember feeling like, oh, good, the burden is not on me. Mm -hmm. All I need to do is be obedient, share the gospel, and the rest is up to God. Amen. And the funny thing now is that that's the same thing still. <laughs> it didn't change because I'm not a Calvinist. I am. She's going to change what she just said. So she's like, well, it didn't change. As a Calvinist, I believe that. And now as a former Calvinist, I believe that. But watch, watch as she tips her card still going to be obedient what's driving that obedience is not so much because the bible said so anymore it's that plus a love and a genuine awareness that this person actually does have hope and this person actually can believe uh but in the end i can't make them believe so right. that burden the burden is still not there i can't make you believe but so it's just interesting how that's what relieved me so much about election before was, oh, good, it's not up to me. It's still not up to me. And, oh, good, I, I can't say anything magical and to make them believe, well, still the same truth. And I, I think I was just very young and I struggled a lot with feeling the urgency, like, I got to share the gospel with you. You got to believe and it's up to me. It's up to me. Where really now I don't feel that way at all. I, and I did feel bolder, but I, I was proud and argumentative. I found myself arguing with people and it was about being right and not about this love and desire for them to see the good news. It was about, well, you're wrong then we're going to argue. And I regret that. I, I look back and think, oh, how many people did I turn off from the Lord? You know? Oh, I so you notice that? Um, so, so now she looks back and says, well, there was something I did that hindered people from coming to faith. 
you know, as a, as a Calvinist, or she claims that's what she still believes now that, you know, I can't, you know, I, I'm not the reason why people come or don't come. But now she said, well, you know, I look back and because of my arrogance and my pride, well, I look how many people who didn't come to faith in Jesus because of me. And so I just think that's very interesting in, in that manner of a quick statement, how she, she, she seems to contradict herself from there. Questions than anything. Um, I hear someone say something like, we have to pray for our children. We have to pray that, that they will be saved, that they will believe. And my question is, but if you believe in election and you believe that they're already elect or not, then what are your prayers going to do? Like there's nothing that they could do. They're not and, and so even there, you know, if, if your prayers can't change anything, then it's useless, which then I would really, I, I don't know how much Elena has um, thought about her position because the, the argument can go right back on her. If you agree, if you believe that God knows the, the, the future with absolute certainty, it's not going to change. Um, then what good are your prayers? She hasn't escaped the, the so-called dilemma she thinks she's in. She's escaped. Now, see, I would argue that prayer, the means of prayer, or the pr prayer is a means to change us primarily. And it's a means what God uses to accomplish his end. And so I don't, I don't have that same kind of, well, if prayer doesn't change the outcome of the future, then it's useless. I, I don't share that same sentiment change so i want to ask you that question so bad right now but that would just not go very well so i'll just be quiet and then i'll hear people say um god allows you um to go through this or walk through this and i want to ask what do you mean allows like don't you believe that he makes it and brings it into your life on purpose for his glory like i want to well he he decrees it um and you know yeah he, he does that by certain means and I, I would hope we would all agree with that because I, I believe the cross is the uh, the fundamental uh, picture of that, right? God decrees or determines that evil will come about in the murder of his own son or the redemption of sinners. And so I, I don't, you know, that and that was the most evil event human history has ever seen. And so, I, yeah, I definitely don't have a problem with lesser uh evil so to speak um and so like i said i don't really know how much elena has thought through some of these uh, objections ask so bad and i just have to stay quiet because i would have worded it the same way they're wording it and i would have felt i would i just noticed these things more now but i know how they feel and what they mean it's what i felt and what i meant i didn't think of it enough to like change my entire vocabulary to use the proper verbiage i hope their elect would be more consistent not let's pray for our children and you know god brought this into my life on purpose for his glory would be consistent with what i thought but i didn't say it that way and neither are they so i just have questions i always want to challenge through questions with genuine curiosity and Alayda, I, i'm the same way i have genuine challenges and questions for for you you know, and for those who uh, may not agree with what I'm saying, I think there's challenges from your perspective, you know, because a lot of times people who, you know, come to these conclusions or, you know, this thought think like, oh, well, the Calvinists are the ones with all the, you know, the hard stuff. And, you know, are us, uh, you know, 
Bible believing Christians are, <laughs> you know, we just believe the Bible, so we don't have to deal with those hard stuff, you know. Uh, but what what led you to uh, to question Calvinism? I posted a jump. And this is why I am ultimately responding. This clip here. Uh, I believe it's this part. Uh, let me not, you know, bite my tongue here. Hold on. Sermon on my Facebook that I love. It's the one about the seashells. Um, mm. Don't waste your life came out of that sermon. And I just love it. That's like speaking my language. I love thinking about how to use my time well to make the most of my days and just to be intentional with how I live my life every day. I don't want to waste time and, and valuable energy. And so I, um, I love that sermon and I asked for feedback and a friend of mine took it upon herself to really challenge me. Uh, she's like, Hey, you asked for feedback on that sermon. I was just curious if, if, uh, you know, you know, he believes that those people's lives were already uh, predetermined. So now he's saying that they wasted their life. This retired couple that retired, they retired and collected seashells. And he was saying that, that that's a tragedy. Um, not another example that he used of two women dying on the mission field. That's not a tragedy because they used their life well. These other people didn't. So her point was, he believes that God determined both of the, those ex examples. So how can you call it a tragedy? And I was like, what? So we started talking. I don't remember that conversation so much. What I do remember sparked everything was when she was like, do you know he believes in reprobation? Okay, so let me respond to that because, like I said, I, I, and I'm not saying this to insult Elena, but I don't really know how well thought out she was or how well she understood compatibilism because... It's not, it's not a, I don't believe it's a contradiction. Um, um, it's to understand God decreeing something, yet uh, man is still held responsible. Um, like I said, the cross is the basic, biggest example of that. Um, yeah, don't waste your life. Uh, God decreed the murder of Jesus, yet that man was still held responsible for what God had already decreed. Um, that's very clear in Acts chapter 4 or Acts chapter 2. Um, um, that would have been my response. Uh, you know, text like Genesis 50. Um, so it's like I said, I, I, I would and, and I will have more to say about that, uh, about her embracing Calvinism. But yeah, uh, like I, I think this is the part right here where she goes into like why like, this is the I think this might be the original clip that I saw. And so I'll let it play. And I was like, what is that? And that led me into a like, OK, I need to go find out what this is. So I went to our big bookshelf with all the MacArthur and Spurgeon. And okay, so her friend, yeah, sorry, this isn't the clip. Sorry, I keep saying that. So I'm gonna just let that clip play and then I'll respond. Uh, but um, she, her friend approaches her about reprobation um, and she's like, what is that? Like, and so <laughs> I, I just find it odd that she had been this Calvinist, you know, this um, for a while and didn't know what reprobation was and kind of had to go to her Calvinist dictionaries. And, and I understand growing and learning about things, but um, you know, even because I understand there are concepts or, or, or terms you may not know, but um, I, I would be curious to how long she was a Calvinist because I don't think reprobation is a, a like step seven, step 100 down the line. I, I think that's a fairly like once you come to understand election, you understand about reprobation. 
that there is a non-elect that God has intentionally not elected to save. And so watch what happens when she uh, kind of finds out what, what, what it is. In Edward's books all over it, <laughs> my bubble of Calvinist books. And I got some systematic theology books out, two of them that I, we have. And I looked up reprobation and I was like, oh, I've not thought of this in years. And that you haven't thought of it in years or you haven't thought of it because I don't understand how you come to embrace Calvinism without thinking about the idea of reprobation, that there's a non-elect that God isn't intending to save. So I, I, I don't know. I was like, let me see where in the Bible they say this is supported. So I looked at the scripture and I, I like being honest with myself. I'm not going to try to make it fit. I was like, that does not support this at all. What is that? No. So I immediately, I was like, babe, come here. Do you know what this is? You know, and I, we started talking about it. And I was like, do you think this verse supports that? You know? And uh, so uh, the more curious thing would be, how did you become a Calvinist without any understanding of this or um, not being convinced of the scripture of this idea? I, I would be curious to know that. Um, he didn't. And that kind of started everything. I was like, okay, I need to start reading. Uh, I started, of course, at your selling point for my selling point for Calvinism was Romans nine and Ephesians one. So I started there and I was really ashamed. I, I had to repent. There's so much to the story, but I realized right away when I started the chapter that I didn't know, like what I was reading was not familiar, which you were not familiar with Romans nine as a Calvinist. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Um, kind of like not being familiar with Daniel, you know, when you're a dispensationalist or, you know, <laughs> the 40 weeks or all that, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something else. Um, you're not familiar with the John one when you hold it to, to the deity of Christ. I mean, you know, think of like, you know, certain movements that you you, you kind of tend to think of certain passages with it. And so kind of not being familiar with Romans nine just shows. I mean, you, you, you didn't know about Romans nine. You weren't familiar with it. You, you just just proof text these some couple of verses. I did not, I was not familiar with the text. I just knew what I had to know to prove my stance. And that's never good. I'll say this, even in the truth, even believe in the right things, if you're not familiar with the passage, that's never good. Don't just know your, and, and I'm speaking to my audience here, don't just know your proof text. Know the context of what the text is meaning. So I read and I was like, he's talking about Israel. Okay. And I kept reading. And then I got to the verses that were, you know, trigger verses for me that I can only see one way. And I was dialoguing with my friend quite a bit through this whole process. We have this app called Voxer. It's like a walkie-talkie app. And we were sending each other 15-minute 15 message, 15 messages back and forth every day for days. And in the Lord's kindness, this was Thanksgiving weekend. So I was off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. My husband was – I was not doing school my husband was home, my mom was home, and I was in the bedroom reading, like, all four days. I'm like, you cooked the turkey, mom. I cannot <laughs> let go of the Bible. So 
it just took, you know, a lot of revisiting everything that I was so certain about. And I remember her, I remember one very specific conversation we had in the very beginning of our dialogue. I was saying my usual, I used to say this all the time. We would never choose God. We would always choose hell. We're born haters of God. Um, if he didn't make us believe, we would never believe. And she was like, where do you see that we're born haters of God? And I was like, I know it's in the Bible. So I went looking for it. And when I read it, I was like, oh, I was using that out of context. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, really just shows you didn't, you didn't know. Um, Like I said, I'm trying to be gracious. Really shows you didn't know um, Calvinist teachings. I I don't know why you accepted it if you didn't know where that was taught. But the Bible's very clear about that. You have it in Romans 1 where it, when speaking about the unregenerate man, he's in enmity with God. Um, and so it's very all over the Bible. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you accepted Calvinism and kind of didn't know how to prove that or didn't know where to at least go to talk about it or, you know, and I don't know. Where all this started my kids were of the age where we graduated from the kitty Bibles and I started reading the Bible to them, the actual gospels. And I remember thinking, my goodness, like everything is pointing to there's hope for everyone. When am I going to introduce election? When am I going to introduce these things to my little children who are listening to me, tell them that Jesus says, come, you know, and that he died for the world. And I remember thinking that and wondering, like, how does this happen? When does that transition happen? And I, you know, moved on from that. Um, I had to get over a few things, the free will thing, because my pitfall, I feel like I felt like I had to make man utterly just depraved, not able to respond, would never choose God. There's like nothing good in man, which of course there's nothing good. There's nothing good in man. Um, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not really sure Warren totally agrees with that. Um, just from previous conversations I've had with him, uh, I don't, he didn't shake his head in affirmation on that point as he did the, the latter. So, uh, just an observation I made. But my view was skewed. And so that made me feel like I was elevating God by making myself such garbage. I I remember a friend sharing a story with me. She's not anymore. She was Calvinist. She was talking to a a group of non-Calvinists and she was saying, I am worthless. I'm utterly worthless. And they were all telling her, don't say that about yourself. Why are you saying that? And I remember thinking with her, like, you were right, girl. They just don't understand. You know, like there's this tendency to make man just this worthless junk and you it's literally what romans 3 says you know we're worthless we don't understand no one sees god um, all the all these things about the unregenerate man but but let, let me um paint a better picture because a lot of people have a hard time synthesizing what i believe biblical truths are though the bible says that right man is low he's a worm all these things are true he deserves the wrath of god he deserves hell the Bible also teaches about man being in the image of God. And so there is this this other view, these twin truths that the Bible teaches that man has worth and there has value. Um, this is why we respect uh, other people because they are made in the image of God. And there is uh, that value in that sense of, uh, you know, being connected to our creator. 
um, but we are fallen. And so that's the other aspect that comes in. And so I don't think I don't, I'm not really sure a lot of people um, understand that even people who are reformed, um, maybe newly reformed, understand that view. Uh, when I became reformed, I didn't I didn't really have that uh, worked out. And, you know, and and then this view was brought into my intention about the Imago Day. And it's, oh, OK, OK, these categories. OK, so I get it now. And so um, not really sure she understood that when she was a Calvinist. I think I thought that that was making God b bigger and better and more amazing. And I, I wasn't challenged in things that feel kind of, I feel silly for not having thought of them myself, but the word sovereignty, instead of defining words, just viewing them as an entire doctrine, you know? Mm. Um, so God's sovereignty was a big hurdle. I had to, I was like, Oh, it just means, and, and then finding out that it wasn't even in the King James Bible. I was like, wait a minute. So okay, the <laughs> I don't know if she's a King James onlyist, but no matter what translation you read, uh, Trinity isn't in the Bible, and so you're going to reject that. And so I, I don't know how that's an argument as well um, to deny Calvinistic view of sovereignty, um, any view of sovereignty, or you know that matter. So I, I'm not really sure about that point there. You know the definition of sovereignty and saying yes, that is God, and seeing that just because we're fallen and sinful doesn't mean we can't respond to God. Don't Agreed. See, this actually shows, I guess, either she, she doesn't, she didn't understand Calvinism and she still doesn't because no Calvinist says that man doesn't respond to God. Man does respond to God. How does he respond? Sinfully. It's not as God's like, um, you know, the gospel gets preached and man's just like, sorry, I can't respond bad or good you know it's like, it doesn't work that way um no calvinist would say that you know what do we say man doesn't respond positively to the gospel man always responds to the gospel never positively apart from god's supernatural grace of regeneration and things like that so yeah that's an inaccurate statement we have the law written on our heart isn't the loving kindness of god what draws man to repentance isn't faith a result of hearing the word of God, uh, why do it, it even says that heathens try to live moral lives. And I could look around me and see that. And I remember as a child, I wanted to be good. I wanted to, to be responsible and do the right thing. Uh, where does that come from? You know, like we have a law written on our heart. We know right from wrong. Why can't we say I'm wrong? I, I Jesus, because I can't. She said, uh, why can't we say we're wrong and I want Jesus? Here's the difference, because um, due to the common grace, man still man still does uh, humanly good, but it's not good before God. And so the issue is because the reason why we can't seek God is because it's spiritual. We are spiritually dead and we need we because need, if that's the case, their their need their God's grace doesn't need to even um, be introduced to man doesn't they're. they're grace isn't necessary for man you know if man in his own self can do it he doesn't even need the grace of god because man has it in and of himself to make this good decision and so that's even a rejection of a uh, prevenient grace um which she's going to bring up a little later <laughs> funny enough but th that that this is pretty absurd stuff notice the trajectory a denial of calvinism now kind of going into this view of why can't man just come to God on his own? 
Why, why does he need to be spiritually awakened? Do this. I want the Lord. What do I do? You know? Yeah. Um, so just these things started making sense. It was very confusing uh, in the beginning because I couldn't let go of sovereignty. I couldn't let go of um, free will and the depravity of man. I remember coming to the awareness that if we, like, I feel like I have free will and I feel like what I do makes a difference in the world. And I feel like the way I raise my children is going to impact them. Why else are we told to teach them diligently and to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and to train up a child in the way he should go? Why, why does that matter? Uh, why do I, am I living a lie? Do I feel free? And like my life matters, but in all actuality, I'm doing everything I'm doing because it's been determined this way. Then, um, so it's it's like her argument seems to be there. Well, either God has no decree, and my life matters, you know, because God can, God can it can all be predestined, and the stuff I'm actually doing matters, right? It has to be God leaves it open, and I determine in actuality what'll happen. You know, I mean, talk about a burden. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I would reject that as well. Um, because I don't believe God decreeing things mean it doesn't matter. Like I said, the ultimate denial of this stuff is the cross. The cross was determined. Calvinists believe that the cross was determined. Yet, it still had value. Then in some other areas, this, this is one horrible lesson of mine and my husband's life. We had a vasectomy and our... Re now, guys, watch. Listen to this. This was just a low blow. A, a, uh, I mean, talk about not understanding Calvinism, but this is just sad. Watch this. She had a vasectomy, right? Meaning she could not, you know... Um, I, what I believe, you know, I, what, from what I understand, tie your tubes so where you can't have children anymore. But watch how she interprets this as a former Calvinist, and I guess as a Calvinist at that time. For it, which by the way, I never had peace about it, full, full peace. But our reasoning was we're free in Christ, and you can't thwart God's plan. But did you? <laughs> so sin, you know, um, you know, the mandate to 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 have children and go ahead. <laughs> That's not a good way to look at anything. Yes, God decrees foolishness, but don't go be foolish. You know, it's it's like the you know the the adulterer saying, "Hey, um, there's freedom in Christ, and um, God's already determined that I'll have sex with this lady, so therefore I'll do it." That's a terrible way of looking at God's decree. You find any sort of internal struggle when you were seeing these issues? You're like, what does it even mean to be a Christian? Because that, that's where I came, came from. It. No, I did not. Uh, for me, I remember saying the sentence to my husband. I could cry. Okay, so this is actually the, uh, the statement why I responded. I saw this on Twitter. And so this is actually what made me respond to this video. And not because she's being emotional, because I get it. Um, if, if truth should make you emotional, so I, I'm not responding just because of what's about to happen here. But I'm responding because I believe there's a lot of error 
in this video. It, Jesus turned out to be everything I ever hoped he would be and mm. hoped that he was. He was everything that he said. He loved everyone. Yeah. And that was the most wonderful mm. news I could ever hear. It was no longer only some, only some people. Like he's everything you hope he is for everyone. And I had just been viewing him wrong for all those years. He loved me, so I was glad. But I sure hoped he would love my children and my family, you know. So it was like this, this fulfilled longing of every human heart. Everyone, if we're truly honest with ourselves, no matter where you are in life, just wants to be loved. That is the human desire when we are raw and open and the answer is Christ. He is the one to fulfill that. Amen. And so it was like a dream come true, like a fairy tale come true. He's everything you want. He really is. And it was just, I was confused and blind. I had a lot of blind spots. And some people might hear this and be like, she wasn't really a Calvinist then, which I understand that. But I held to the T, the U, the L, the I, the P. I held to it all. I heard the R.C. Sproul five-hour CD, and I said at the end of it, I agree with everything that man just said to my husband. I told him that. So. All right, so I wanted her to get all that out because I wanted to play it in totality without interrupting that. But besides the emotions, which that's fine. She can definitely have emotions. We're emotional creatures. I understand that. Notice it was just this kind of sentimentalism where Jesus was everything I wanted. Right. He, he loved everybody. But a question I actually have for her is what did the what does the love of Jesus accomplish for everybody? Because it's it's not a it's not just God's love that he just loves us like ah, just he just has these sentimental feelings for us and he cares. That's that's not what's so great about the love of God. What I believe is so great about the love of God, it actually accomplishes is something so what what's so good about god loving you when you're on your way to hell when you're going to hell i don't think that's great you know and so question i would love her to consider if she ever listens to this is what does the god, love of god accomplish Hope, hopefully that you know um resonates with her because i believe the love of Christ actually accomplishes something for his people. Matthew 121, he will save his people from their sins. It accomplishes this, its, its intended purposes. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I found um, on the other side of, of Calvinism that God was so much better, so much more loving and gracious that there was still the wrath there was still the judgment the things that the legalists mm -hmm. tend to focus on that was I, I don't know what's so great about like the sentimentalism or these like these good feelings god has what however you want to describe this love that doesn't accomplish anything that i mean it's it's not a good it's not a good thing that you know a parent will love you right into the traffic accident or something you know there's you know it's it's love that the love actually accomplishes its intended purposes, not just has strong feelings for you. You know, while you're, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. 
still there, but it was there in respect to the revelation of who he is in scripture, that it wasn't mm-hmm. out of balance, that he was a, he was a, he was the living God of scripture. And, and this. Oh, but, but listen to this guys, listen to this uh, characterization of Calvinism idea of a wrathful king who wanted to put us under his thumb turned out to be this loving father who was absolutely selfless and did everything that he could to restore, to redeem, to rescue, that when he saw us coming, he would run out and put a robe around us and a ring on our finger and desired Mm -hmm. that relationship. And here I am and I'm studying and I go, boy, I spent an awful lot of time hearing about God and believing so many bad things about him. And in this, it was a burden. Like as I'm going through that, it, my story was a little unique because it took me about an hour and a half. And so I went through every range of emotion in that. But when it was over, all I confessed was Christ. And it was such a, it was Pilgrim's Progress, right? My, my Calvinist background. Christian's burden came down at the cross. Here I, and my burden was Calvinism. My burden was all of these doctrines that had weighed me down. And here I am standing on. Uh, you know, he uses the uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, which was a John Bunyan was a Calvinist, by the way. But I, I think it's funny. He he, he uh, calls he kind of makes this picture as well. Calvinism was his real problem because in that analogy, I, I I don't know how you can because he calls Calvinists his brothers, some Calvinists his brothers. I don't know how you can use that analogy and say Calvinists are still my brothers when <laughs> the very thing that Bunyan needed to do for salvation was get rid of right his burden. Um, I don't know how you can say that burden can still be in the salvific realm, you know, with that analogy. Thing but Christ as as God incarnate, crucified, resurrected, and. It was so freeing and overjoying. And you talk about turning from tears to laughter. Um, but uh, but God is so much better than we were, were taught. And that he, he loves every person. And he, he's made a provision for every person. I could hold my child. He's had a provision. You know, he, had to, you know he's, he laid out the salvation. And go get it. You know, yeah, his love didn't actually accomplish, you know, it, but the, I guess the love was just, you know, providing a way, but not actually uh, saving. And so, yeah, this is actually one of the more fundamental differences of Calvinism versus provisionism, synergism, Arminianism, whatever. Um, yeah, Calvinism believes that God actually intends to actually save particular people, not just lays out the salvation bubble and says, well, you get yourself into it. I did all the, I did majority of the work, you know, now it's up to you to receive it. I, we, you know, yeah, we don't believe that. Oh. But yeah, n- listen to this story because I always find when people, you have to be careful when people leave a movement at times, not all the time, but majority of the times, a lot of it's embellished. A lot of it's, um, it's not actually accurate to what the movement itself teaches. So you have to be careful. When um when um you so it's I, so I'll, I'll like you can bring up a story like a Mormon um, Mormons do have horrendous doctrines but you may have like a Mormon who uh, leaves Mormonism they be like yeah I had you know I believe we can have multiple wives and you know I have 
um, you know, um, five wives. And it's like he, he may not have had five wives, but okay, it's good that he left Mormonism. But sometimes people embellish. All I'm saying is people embellish their stories to make them seem more credible or things like that. Or sometimes it's a straight out lie. Um, and so, or, or mis misrepresent their former faith because, you know, they are deemed as kind of once you leave, people kind of put you on a, a mantle of like, oh, you're an expert in your this faith. Of course, you left it. You know what you're talking about. And sometimes that isn't true. And he, he uh, my newborn son, he would make a, a, a messy diaper and <laughs> I would go in there and he'd start screaming and I'd open him up and cleaning that mess up, you know. Um, and he's screaming and I'm wiping him, putting new diapers on. And then I get him all warm and bundled up and I'm holding him and I get him calmed down. And I'm like, Hey, it's okay. Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. And then I would, I would feel him fill it up immediately. And I was like round two, buddy. And he'd start screaming and we go, and I said, son, we just went through this process. You can trust me. Like, and I, in that moment I saw myself mm -hmm. with the father mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I started to realize uh, one, that I'm, I'm a lousy uh, stand-in for him because he's far more loving and, and perfect than I am. But it gave me a little bit more insight into the love of the Father, one that wants for us to mature and grow and provide and is, is slow to anger and patient and not willing that any should perish. And I, I started to see, one, I would never give my son up for the world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, not that, I'm not that charitable, but I started to see God through the imagery that he gave us in scripture in which I had been taught, you don't do that. Mm -hmm. You don't. We call God the father, but don't view him as a good father mm -hmm. because you're, you're, you're bringing him down. And, that's, you know, I, I, and I would be very curious, Warren, that, to who was teaching you that. Who was teaching you, you know, you, you don't view God as a good father. Yeah, he's the father, but... Don't you dare, don't you dare believe he's a good, a good father to you, that he's kind and loving and merciful. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards is uh, much remembered for his sermon on the wrath of God, but, you know, sinners in the hands of Abraham God, but um, his most famous sermon, you know, um, is actually on the love of God. And Calvinist has been very, I mean, our whole view of election is based on the love of God. I mean, Ephesians 1. So uh, to kind of have this view of God as like this tyrant, this bully um, from a Calvinist perspective, it's, it's, it's just not true. Um, no one's teaching that. And so I, I think that was a little unfair. I didn't talk about it that much in the beginning, especially. But my husband knew what is going on. And in that journey, we discovered that I was a lot harder of a Calvinist than he was. I didn't know there was different kinds of Calvinists, like you said. Um, us. And, and so constantly through this interview, we see one main trend is that she didn't know about Calvinism as much as she knows now or thinks she knows now. You know, I mean, how are you a Calvinist and don't know their different views of Calvinism? So, you know, it's like being um, a dispensationalist and not knowing their different forms of dispensationalism. Like, I, I, I probably wouldn't go to you to like, um, I don't know, understand about your former ideology you represented it he's like oh I, I didn't know there were different forms of calvinism yeah you got hyper calvinists you know you got people who believe in infralapsarianism uh, superlapsarianism and uh, you know and um then you got 
when you get to covenant theology and certain things you got baptists making you got you got uh, presbyterian and so there's different forms and flavors and so that, that's just with like every movement you know and so i don't know how you didn't know that that's that's why i would be curious to know how long were you a calvinist because she, she makes it seem like man i was a calvinist for a long time i, I don't know what that you know period is she didn't say that but that's what i got the hint that she was uh kind of suggesting hey i was i was in this for a long time that's why it was so hard to leave I mean, now I know that, but I didn't back then. And so when I heard that he didn't think what I thought, I was like, what? I thought we've always thought like that if there's elect, then there's non-elect and they're thrown into hell for God's glory. Why didn't you think that? What? what? Yeah. No, what, what, what Calvinist doesn't believe there's an elect and a non-elect? I mean, that's, I mean, if you accept the principle of, a, of an elect, there has to be a non-elect. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know how someone could come to a, conclusion on election and not believe you know from a calvinistic perspective and not understand that there's a non-elect how did you not think that and he's like i don't know i just i and i'm like well what about our kids have you ever thought about our kids whether they're elect or not and he's like i just believe that they were because they're my children and i love god i'm like babe that's not how election works <laughs> no like why why didn't we talk about these things the most painful thing i can exp i can um describe on an intellectual level, because I had spent my entire life affirming diametrically opposed propositions that Calvinism is true. And in eternity past, God elected some to heaven and some to hell before they did anything. And there is nothing anyone can do to change whether they're elected to either category. You just go, you're just, when you were decreed in eternity past now, or when you stand before him, there is nothing you can do or say to change that. And yet, I was walking feeling convicted if I sinned, or mm -hmm. if I was drawing closer to him, I felt like I was responsible for responding to that call, and I, I felt like... And, and, and for him, that's a contradiction. You know, either you believe that men are elect, you know, or you feel conviction when you sin, you feel responsibility. <laughs> you know, anyone who you know knows of compatibilism knows those aren't... One, those aren't even those aren't even logically, you know, contradictions because the elect feel conviction, you know, because God has regenerated them, and so when they sin, they feel conviction of certain things, and so I, I don't I don't know how this is supposed to be the, you know, the logical contra you know kind of diametrically opposed positions. Like here's the dynamite, you know, to show Calvinism is an error. Well, I I I don't see those as contradictions. They're not had an obligation to come to him. And so here I am holding a diametric. Yes, Calvinists believe that. You know, compatibilists. We're, you know, we're compatibilists. We believe that God commands all men everywhere to repent and turn to Jesus Christ, yet he only enables some. That's not a contradiction. I understand you don't like it. That I, Look, I, I get it. I get it. It's not a contradiction. We oppose belief, and it caused some real pain between my ears here we have thank you mine too <laughs> just just a slight jab jesus he says uh if calvinism is true god determined them to leave calvinism which makes me ask why having said that i'm not a calvinist um <laughs> so so yes if if um 
if, if, uh, if Calvinism is true, we were decreed and determined in eternity past to take issue with it and, uh, and to see valid reasons, um, which is kind of interesting because then... Yeah, so I'll address the claims. That's, that's not an argument against Calvinism. It's just an it, it just shows how you don't... No, to be, I'm trying to be fair, but I don't think this point actually understands how um, the distinctions of Calvinism, you know, I don't, I don't think this point is understood by many non-Calvinists. Um, again, God decrees whatever, whatever so happens to come to pass. Yet still holds men responsible. So, yeah, he, he's determined this, yet you will still be held responsible. And a lot of people are like, how can you hold me responsible if somebody have a choice yet? Well, <laughs> you ask that to the men... Uh, God determined um, to murder Jesus. How can he hold them responsible? Well, the apostles seem to, to call that, that what they did an evil act. Murder. So your problem's not ultimately with the Calvinists. I mean, great. I hope I can say this graciously and kindly, but with, with scripture, like key tenets of scripture. Um, that whole system does tend to collapse. Of course, that's determinism. Um, right. Which Let's always see. confuses me. Like I, I guess I believed in that. So when I you hear guess? people say, "Oh, that's determinism," I'm like, "Oh, I thought that's what we believed." But like I said, I, I haven't studied it all, all so much. I just know what I was exposed to and what I believed. So apparently, there's different levels of that of how deterministic God is. Um, I, I, like I said, I don't understand how you were in deep. And, and Calvinism thought as she proclaims to be and doesn't know there are different forms of determinism. Warren knows a little better, a lot better. But I don't know how she didn't know. You know, and a lot of people learn more about, Cal like who end up leaving Calvinism, learn more about Calvinism when they leave than when they were in it. You know? <laughs> there's, 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 right? there's several, <laughs> there's several different views. Um, and depending on which one you affirm, all of the others are heretical. <laughs> so, so it doesn't matter what you're affirming. If whatever mm. you're affirming is, is orthodoxy, uh, and it seems like this is one of those those issues that people try to make an essential of the faith. But you have determinism. You have various forms of that, like compatibilism. You have open theism. You have got. I wouldn't call open theism um, deterministic by any means. Um, so yeah omniscience, you have um, uh, Molinism and middle knowledge. Um, but I think, I think if you just strip away the veneer of the pretense and the piety and the various formulas for expressing it, God makes decrees uh, that he promises to bring about. Some of those are conditional. Some of them are unconditional. He knows the future, past, and present. And the question is just how. And I'll just tell him the same. Yeah, and I would argue... Because it's a decree. But if you admit that God knows the future, you're, you're in the same boat as me. If God knows the future exhaustively, then that means what he knows will come to pass. According to, and, and what I'm not saying is his knowledge brought it about. Because a lot of people will, knowing doesn't mean determination. I agree. But I'm just saying, because he knows it, it will come to pass. I'm not saying his knowledge brought it about. That's a whole nother different uh, discussion. But in some sense, bec because he knows it, that's what will come to pass. 
And so you haven't escaped. So before God creates, he knew what would happen um, on each day, right? You guys admitted he wasn't surprised. So so in, in, in the very thing you argue against determination, it's arguing against you as well. Because you already made that statement that there are things determined. But I would argue that because God knows all things, even from your view, all things are determined. Yeah, he, some, some things he just didn't have any say-so about. You know, he didn't want to happen, but couldn't do anything about it, couldn't change it. Because once he creates, it's that's what's going to happen. Bullet point version. Um, I One of the things I came to realize through in Romans is that faith is not a work. That was a huge eye-opener for me. I always thought faith was... Um, and, and let me describe what Calvinists are getting at. Faith is not a work according to the Calvinist system. Why? Because God gives us a free gift. But I believe, according to a synergism model, faith is a work because it stems from man's. Faith is the result of man's. Uh, uh, yeah, it stems from man. That's, it's the source of him. So I think that's what people are getting at. Um, not that faith itself is a work. Work. Uh, and then I feel like I was putting God in a box. I feel like I understood how God worked. I was claiming to understand how God worked and he turned out. I mean, you can say that about, I, I really, I hate this. Like, well, you're putting God in a box. Well, since you're defining him, so are you two, you know, it's like, I think we got to move past to this like level of argumentation um, because once you define God according to how you just said, one, you know, I, I thought I knew how God worked. Well, you seem to be sure of some things God uh, doesn't act like and does. And so someone could say, well, you're putting God in a box as well. So I don't like that level of argumentation. He's so much bigger than I could have ever imagined uh, because of my definition of sovereignty. Pretty much I was claiming how does God work? Well, he meticulously controls everything, period. And that seems very small. And I didn't ever think of that. I was applying everything to myself when I read the scriptures versus in context. And I was, I realized that I was injecting doctrine into words instead of defining them. And that when I said things like, well, when God says he died for the world, he doesn't really mean world. He means this or this, that I was trying to clarify what God meant, which is extremely presumptuous <laughs> versus taking. Well, all systems of thought has to do that. You know, um, when Jesus says he's the door, you have to contextualize and explain. Well, he doesn't mean actual hinges. No, you need to take God at his face value. He says he's a door. That's what, you, you know, you have to. So. Just because someone's like explaining that theology doesn't mean they don't believe what it says or what it means. What it means is what it says. Not, so, yeah. Him for his word. He knows what he's trying to say, and we need to just take him for his word. Authority of the scripture was not number one. I thought that I had to explain what God meant, and those things were also very big things that uh, I can't... Well, we, we do have to explain what God meant. So, I don't see how... But so does the position you're holding to now. I mean, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't see how that's an argument against Calvinism. To realize, um, and probably the biggest one is that election was something I was adding to the gospel. It wasn't enough to hear what God did or believe. 
in what God did, but you also had to be elect because the gospel is just empty words to the non-elect. And that was a big eye-opener as well. So just throwing it. Now, that's a very uh, wild statement that, you know, it's not the gospel. It's like, hey, you got to believe the gospel plus election, which I've never heard a Calvinist articulate. So, like I said, it's, it's very interesting to see um, once introspective, once they leave a movement. And so, um, yeah, man, I, you know, hopefully I was kind and gracious in this video. Um, hopefully you guys learned. Um like I said, I got a, new, a lot of new subscribers. Hopefully you, this video was helpful to understand what Calvinism isn't. And, and, and it, you know, as much as I went through with Fourth, uh, kind of explaining a little bit about Calvinism. But yeah, I embrace Calvinism not because of John Calvin, not because of some philosophical argument, not because of some emotional argument. I, I believe that's what the text is saying. I believe man is totally depraved, that no man would ever come to God unless God... Um, came to him first. Um, I believe that man is unable to come to God. Man does not desire the things of God, Romans 3. I believe that God unconditionally elects and chooses whom to save. I believe that Jesus Christ died to save them. Meaning his death is actual effectual. Meaning it saves whom he intends to save. I believe in irresistible grace. That God must first supernaturally change the heart of a rebel sinner before that sinner comes to God. And I believe in perseverance of the saints. That whomsoever God saves, that he will continue to persevere them. He will continue to uh, draw, uh, yeah, preserve them. That no, uh, no person that God saves will ever lose their salvation. And this is all encompassed and, and, and embodied by the sovereignty of God. I believe in a God who is sovereign over all things. Meticulously sovereign, yes, I believe that. Because even the little choices affects the big choices. And so, yes, I believe that totally. I believe the hard things in scriptures. Yeah, there's a lot of things in scripture you know, that I believe um, that Calvinists teach that are, that are difficult truths. Very difficult, I understand. But I believe them. Because I believe the Bible. And so yeah, guys, I hope this video was helpful. Like I said, if you have any questions, definitely leave a comment section. Guys, if it blesses you, please feel free to like this video. Like it right now. If it blesses you, share it. Share it out. Hope this was helpful for you. Shout out to my Calvinist friends. Shout out to my non-Calvinist friends too. Showing y'all some love. <laughs> but yeah, grace and peace, guys. Until the next video.